This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everybody, it's Kevin here from Digital Marketing Fastlane. Today is Friday, May 15th. I'm here with Eric. Hey Eric, how are you doing? Good, how are you? It's good. You know, good, good day today. It's actually a pretty uh, warm day today outside. Have you been outside yet? I have not been outside yet because we are... 8 a.m. meetings? We're also quarantined though. So. Yeah. But, you but it is almost going outside. It's pretty, I went outside this weekend for the first... Uh, I think it was... Wednesday for the first time in months. Did you? Oh my yeah, God. I went to Target. Yeah, for today's episode, we're going to be talking about kind of some things we're seeing on, in the Facebook space this week. I think something that we've noticing on our accounts this whole week has been CPMs going up, right? Um, I think about mm-hmm. two, three weeks ago, CPMs were so cheap. Um, we were seeing, but for example, one account that we manage, the CPMs were $9. Now they're up to $15, $16. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like a lot from a dollar amount standpoint, but that's like a 70% increase. Yeah. And that's going to affect your costs throughout the entire funnel. So if you're doing CPAs at whatever, $28 and you're seeing 78, 40 something dollar CPAs, that's going to be a real problem. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing a lot. Now, luckily something we do to combat this, that a lot of brands, even Facebook themselves will tell you not to do this, but we do it and we're crushing with it. So do it is manual bidding. So the reason why we do manual bidding is for these exact situations. So let's just contrast auto bidding. It's just you're that lowest cost bid style. Basically your Facebook is always delivering no matter what the cost in the auction is. You're basically telling Facebook you'll pay whatever you want, whatever they charge you, whatever they want for a conversion. Um, Whereas if you put manual bidding on, let's say I bid at $50, um, you're telling Facebook you don't want to spend more than $50 on a conversion. So they're going to look for people who typically they think will convert for lower, you know, for under $50 cost per purchase, cost per purchase conversion, you know, whatever your pixels optimizing for, whatever your ad set is optimizing for. So by keeping it low um, or at least just manual bidding, when CPMs and stuff fluctuate and go up really high out of nowhere and Facebook just can't find people as much that would convert at the cost that's more profitable for you. Let's say $50, you know, bids. It's just not going to deliver the ads as much. This keeps your CPA consistent, even though you're probably going to deliver a little less, which is actually something we've been seeing in the last week or so. Big brands, small brands, all. Uh, Whereas if you put it on lowest cost, um, it's going to definitely deliver, but CPA can definitely fluctuate a lot. And depending on what your goals are, if you need a specific CPA to be profitable, you definitely want to do that. If you're at a different stage where um, you can absorb higher CPAs or there's some cases where you would do lowest cost and just uh, maybe your product is just, you're in a really good scaling phase, you're crushing it. Uh, You know, you can pay whatever, uh, the ROAS is really high, the profits are really high, uh, your margins are really good. You know, anything that would warrant a, you to absorb a higher CPA, that can work. 
Yeah, and it, that's exactly, yeah. And that, I think that also shows you kind of that sometimes for each account, it's a little different. Like uh, some accounts, you just want to do bid cap or cost cap or manual bidding because you just want at certain CPA. You're not worried about scale. When you're scaling, mm-hmm. it's very different type of account management. And I think some brands or some people we work with kind of need to understand that there's a difference between scaling and sort of just like maintaining. Because you can maintain with a good CPA all day, right? But you're not going to really push numbers. And I think if you're pushing numbers, that's when you really need to maybe do, you know, higher bid caps or spend more money. That way you can push volume. Because like sometimes we're working with some brands here that they just have a lot of inventory and they're fine with just like a 10, 20% profit margin because they know that if they just hold on to that inventory, it's actually going to cost them more money because of all the storage fees and the worker fees that they pay just to keep it in there. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you're a D2C company, having inventory in your warehouse, that's just like having cash is just not doing anything you need to move it. And I think sometimes you sometimes need, brands need to realize like, Hey, it's better to just yeah, have a little bit less profit margin, but push the numbers out and get your inventory out there. Cause yeah. then it's going to get more customers for other products you have. Yeah. And jumping on what Kevin said, some brands we scale with a lot of times we make sure your email marketing and your lifetime value, getting that repeat business is very crisp and you have a well-oiled machine in email marketing. You're getting a lot of repeat business because that lets you absorb a higher cost per acquisition in the upfront conversion. And because you know their repeat purchase rate is gonna be higher, you're gonna make more money long-term for that brand. So basically, you know, a lot of brands, they're willing to, especially subscription brands are a perfect example of this. So we work with a lot of subscription brands. They're willing to take a certain CPA cost per acquisition of, you know, $100 just because they know, the, you know, people subscribe for, let's say $30 a month for 12, 18, 24 months, whatever it is, $10 CPA because you know their average subscription is maybe three to six months or something. Even, even the ROAS on the ads themselves is even less than one a lot of times, but they're making so much repeat business from the subscription model that they're able to afford uh, low ROAS, but good cost per acquisition upfront. Yeah. And what you're basically, what we're saying here is you need to know your, what your payback period is for different cohorts. You know, of course, depending on the people that's buying your products and services, especially for subscription stuff, it's, that's where mm-hmm. cohorts make sense. And you need to know on average, how long does it take? How long does someone subscribe to my product and how much can I you know, absorb initial cost in order to, because I know that eventually they're going to pay me back that money that it cost me to acquire that customer. And that's just like figuring out most brands like, most D2C brands that we work with want a payback period of they, they just didn't add and they buy right now, right? So that's sort of like, hey, I need a bro as above two, right? That's because they want to get paid immediately. They want to make some profit immediately as they sell a product. Whereas Eric, you were saying with subscription, sometimes you do a little bit less or below one because you know that the customer is going to stay there longer. And this kind of makes sense more to like, remember we're doing that audit of something like Noom or something like that. They're like more like a SaaS type of company. I figure for them, for SaaS companies, you know, sometimes you can pay a lot more to acquire a customer, even though like, let's say a subscription is like 25 bucks, you know, yeah. you can pay 50, 60 bucks because you know that you're kind of going to be always be in there and you're never yeah. going to leave. Like, I think we gave an example last time where like Dropbox, right? Mm-hmm. Our initial plan when we started out was what, 10 bucks. Now it's up to like 250 a month, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, uh, just to give you how, to give you an idea of how real recurring customer lifetime value is on a monthly basis, especially for SaaS. There's like entire, it's an entire niche in D2C now, an app niche 
to let you know all the subscriptions you're currently on in your bank account and your credit card so you know to turn them off. Just because so many people sign up for all these different uh, monthly subscriptions, $15, $20, death by a thousand cuts every month, that there just that just shows you how real it is. There's a whole industry to counter that right now. So, I mean, I'm not saying you should just, you know, people should just not use your product and you get them. And, but I mean, people pay a monthly fee and um, it's a very real recurring revenue. We have several subscription brands, SaaS, then it just, we see long-term repeat revenue every month. They scale really well. And by the way, it, I mean, it's to the point where if you asked us what kind of business model you should start in e-commerce, um, we would, for sure suggest some sort of subscription SaaS, something with a repeat revenue a lot. And any brand that comes to us and wants to work with us, if they don't have a subscription option for something on their site, you have to add one. And not only add one, but like make the default selection on your product page to bubble in the subscription option. And it's a, it shows the overall savings and you know free gift, free money back guarantee. So they almost feel stupid selecting the more expensive one. Mm -hmm. um, that's what you have to do. And when we see brands implement that, they can absorb a less than one ROAS because their repeat business is so good. Then they just need maybe a 50 to $80 CPA or something like that. And they're making thousands of dollars from that purchase just because their subscription is so good. Their email marketing is so good. They know exactly what to do. Yeah, exactly. Subscription stuff is always good. And even like even like adding digital components at subscription base, because that's even when you make more money. Um, it doesn't cost you like, obviously subscription boxes are great, but those also have like raw costs, right, Eric? Like there's a raw cost to that. Mm -hmm. But I still love, like I, I, I would love to do like a SaaS subscription base because that's so much easier, I think, at least in my opinion. Of, Absolutely. Yeah. Or you know, an, another way, any brand that comes to us who is a consumable, whether you're a supplement mm -hmm. or cosmetics, or even some kind of food brand or something, um, something that you're just going to run out of, deodorant, you know, anything that you would just run out of, you're ripe for subscription options. People are, uh, that's something that you get people to do repeatedly, especially if they like it, they're going to probably stick to it. Um, you know, they're going to need to buy another one in the future. So yes, that's perfect for subscription. If you're in any kind of consumable space, something that they can run out of, definitely get them on subscription, even if it's not a formal subscription box, like Birch box yeah. or Bark box or something. And I think something, I think something that, that with subscription based stuff, like um, it's, I think you also need to realize or know, like when does it make sense? Uh, or like, for example, I was listening to native, the founder that the ordering company that got acquired by mm -hmm. I think Procter and Gamble, he was saying for his business, they found out that when someone purchased like four deodorants over time, they knew that that person was going to be like a good lifetime customer because mm -hmm. they use a product enough that they knew was worth it. So for them, it was worth sort of figuring out everything to get to that four purchases, like emails, uh, different type of marketing messages, because once that sort of number hit, they really got that. And it's very similar to, I'm not sure if you heard about it, Eric, but like Facebook has a number two where when you sign up for Facebook, they know that if you get like what, seven or 10 friends added, you're basically a Facebook user for life. So mm -hmm. if you, if someone goes to Facebook right now, their whole experience is to get to that seven user count because they know that once you have friends on that platform, it's going to be a sticky platform for them. And it's the same way for LinkedIn with Reed Hoffman. He said that they also realize that um, obviously now he said like now, like based on what he was talking, he said that now it's very like obvious. And when you input your emails that you'll get more friends when they first thought about that, 
they really saw user growth because now all your, now all your emails and your contacts were in your LinkedIn connection. And that's what really made people um, use LinkedIn more. So it's, it's like, you can see with like these SaaS companies and these sort of founders that you, you may want to listen to their talks is figure out what they're also realizing or saying that's going to make people sticky to their product because everybody's got a product. It doesn't matter if it's like a consumable or SaaS or tech, you still want users to love it. And how can you, how can you find that out? And with SaaS, it's of course easier, right? Because you can sort of look at the metrics and usage where sometimes for physical products, a little bit harder. I think electronics kind of do a good job like this. Um, like, you know, headphones, laptops, they always have like a warranty. So you can see when people register it. If they register it, that means that you can track them. You can do the different things with them. So for any sort of brand, it's not just getting the first sale, but it's like, do they actually love the product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A video games are another good example. Yeah. Just- there's, yeah, it's like, it's like there's data there. How do you use it effectively? And I think obviously it's, it's a lot harder sometimes to just to, to, to think about how you can use it effectively, but something you need to think about. Yeah. And by the way, this, this is a principle. I don't have the studies in front of me or, but you can look it up. I'm sure there's, I don't know if it's an actual study, but I know there's a lot of studies on repeat business in general, how it helps so much, but there's some sort of likelihood of purchasing. Like after they buy, I think the second or third time, the like, after they buy the first time, the likelihood of them buying again compared to someone who never bought is obviously extremely high. But, and then that third purchase once the likelihood of what if they bought two times, the likelihood of the third purchase is like five times that. And then if they bought three times, the likelihood of a fourth purchase purchases four to 10 there, it's like a 50 times higher. There's like some kind of exponential curve where the more someone buys, the more likely they are to buy again. Um, and it applies to any business model. If it's a huge macro example, like Facebook, like Kevin mentioned, or it's a $10 a month subscription box, like a client we just signed recently, and um, we're scaling them uh, from just zero to scaling. So it, it works for all different kinds of businesses. Yep. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it's sort of just knowing your metrics there. Um, I guess what else has happened with Facebook? I, I think another thing that was interesting to this happened this week, Eric, was uh, snacks.com. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you heard about that. So I did hear about it. I didn't really dive in just because I've had my head down working. But it's I, sort of basically what, like Doritos, right? Doritos, mm-hmm. like launched their own. It's interesting because now they're basically all the snacks that you see on shelves right now. Now they're selling directly on their website. I mean, for me, I think for me, what's crazy, it's, it took them this long to, hap- to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and also another thing for me too is like snacks.com is a great domain name. Like how long, how long were you guys sure. holding on to that? before you were <laughs> deploying it, right? Like, yeah. it's like, I would be using that domain at ASAP. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. But, and that's actually a funny thing you bring up in the quarantine because my wife was just complaining the other day. I mean, we went to Target. So the whole reason we, we straight up, she's super paranoid about the coronavirus. We don't even leave the apartment. She makes me leave the apartment with masks and gloves just to take the trash out in the shoot down the hall. That's it. We left just because she wanted Doritos, she wanted Cheetos and Pringles and stuff and Oreos and just stuff. Only because Amazon Whole Foods doesn't deliver it, and yeah. you know, cost, even Costco, Instacart, that kind of stuff. Um, they might not have everything you need, but but I mean, just walking around Target also is just just these basic brands that pe- she just used to love. She was kind of sick of, and she was sick of not having it. You don't want the Whole Foods alternative because we just got a Whole Foods order last weekend. We paid for these frozen chicken nuggets. Yeah, and not to not to shit on whole foods, but I mean, we Amazon. paid like $15 for basically one or two servings of chicken nuggets that, yeah. you know, if we got it, we basically got 
five times the size for half the price at Target. So that's really what set her off and rightfully so to just go to Target. So something like snacks.com, especially right now with all the other options, just not serving that niche. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it's like these big brands are finally going online, which is, which is good and bad for, I guess, for DTC advertisers, because I always tell people like, I mean, I always tell you, Eric, like D2C is just a channel. Like every, it was hot before, but every consumer brand is going to be direct to consumer now. It's before mm-hmm. it was like a play like, oh, look, I'm raising money because I'm D2C. Now, like, dude, Doritos is, now Doritos is also D2C. Like you, there is no like angle now. So mm-hmm. now it's, now I think it's great because now it's like, hey, now you have to actually be able to build, build a real business that actually is not just Facebook ads, Instagram ads. It's everything around else that makes a brand a brand that you love because- Absolutely. Yeah. Like we get a lot of like founders or companies or brands that we work with, um, you know, that say like, hey, I want to become really big. But I'm like, you're not going to become like a target, for example, just by Facebook ads. Like you're not mm-hmm. doing any other work. You're not doing emails. You're not doing retail outreach. You're not doing cold calls. You're not doing mm-hmm. partnerships. Like Facebook is just one channel. You're not going to become a brand that people love just by that. Of course you can. I mean, I mean, and, the, and a great example is if you look at some of the big brands that people like now, for example, Bombas, have you heard of them? Like the sock company? Yeah. Yeah. See how they were a Facebook company or initially something like that. that. Yeah. And now they're everywhere. They're doing Super Bowl ads. They're doing billboards. You see how a lot of times, like I think the founders sometimes don't realize it's like you actually need to do stuff outside of Facebook. Absolutely. And I think you're talking this on their podcast, like um, the mattress companies are the best example. Yeah. Like um, Brooklyn and Casper, these mattress companies you used to just see, they started in Facebook ads. Now they have locations at the World Trade Center mall. You see them on the, they, they buy out entire train carts uh, and put their logo, they put their ads all over the train cart, which by the way, I think is a pretty cool mm-hmm. way to do that just because you actually stand out in an otherwise very cluttered advertising placements. But um yeah, they're all expanding and it's very real. They're, I mean, you could say, oh, but you know, transit ads or print ads or whatever, not really effective, but you know, you have to broaden it. Um, you know, Facebook's just going to get higher. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you just, it's going to get more expensive and also it's like, you're going to reach a different type of person, even Ooh. though it's like, it's like people always say like, oh, but everybody's on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, but like you just sort of, people want to see the messaging or the ads everywhere. And also it's, on these platforms, you can also use a different type of messaging. Like the ads that you make for Facebook are not going to be the same ads that you're probably going to put on like a billboard. Oh right? yeah. So, yeah. And the subway, the subway, let's just say the subway train cart ad is a perfect example because yeah. all right, I mean, what is an advertisement on Facebook? People are just looking at Facebook a lot. Now yeah. when they're on the subway, they're probably not. Um, it's a different angle. You, first of all, you're staring at something for like 40 minutes straight sometimes like yeah. the same wall, especially in rush hour. Yeah. And you know, 40 minutes staring at the same advertisement, you know, you're going to remember, you know, you're probably going to remember what that is. If it's an interesting ad that actually speaks to you, it's going to have a real impact on you. So that's a very real thing, especially the way they decorate the whole cart. Sometimes I think it was in China and they decorate the entire cart, the seats, everything too, in this beautiful artistic way. And it makes a really serious impression on you. And you're looking at it for whatever, 15, 30 minutes sometimes. Yeah. So that's a very real impression. Someone looking at it for 40 minutes. Like if you made a Facebook video and it had a 40 minute view time, you know, what kind of yeah. like, that would be the most, what has to be the best video in the world, right? Yeah. It has to be the big Lebowski. And 
it's just, you're not going to do that. And, but so you have different opportunities, different ad placements, even outside of Facebook ads, they have a lot more, there's, there's value if you know where to look for it. Yeah. And ex- exactly. And um, this also, this also brings an interesting point that you were saying, and we were kind of talking about it yesterday a little bit. I wonder what these ads or like CPMs on Facebook are going to be like, because not that many people are going to be commuting to work anymore. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Right? I know so, what you like right now with COVID, like no one's really commuting to work. So like Facebook ads are just sort of like where people are seeing billboards and most people are going to be working from home now. So mm-hmm. I think like billboard ads might become even more effective later on because they're going to be just bit more. I mean, you've been to China, Eric, you've seen like China, there's ads everywhere, like literally everywhere. Like you literally don't even can take a step, step without seeing an ad. Where the U.S., it's kind of a little bit different, right? Where like it's more like in the U.S., the, the next comparison to that is maybe something like Times Square. Right, you're, there's billboards mm-hmm. everywhere. But China has that kind of somewhere. I mean, it depends on the spot, but I yeah. know exactly what you mean. Though, you know, they utilize space pretty well. Yeah, yeah. You were saying, how do you think CPMs are going to be affected? Yeah, by more people. Don't, we already saw it. CPMs actually went down. Mm-hmm. Um, people weren't jumping up for joy just because in the middle when people quarantine, they the economy was in shambles too. So conversion rates were lower, just like we talked about in that first quarantine COVID podcast. But, you know, maybe CPMs are going up this week or something, but it, is, it does fluctuate on the bigger picture. So if more people are at home, if just more people are on it, I, I guess that means CPMs could get lower, even if these big mm, brands it, like Frito-Lay are being more aggressive in the D2C space. Um, also, by the way, Snapchat is a very real channel. Their CPMs are absurdly low. TikTok's ad platform is not quite there yet, but I mean, it's still a platform people are on. So I know this COVID situation is going to really change the landscape, how people think about e-commerce in general. I think I heard someone say e-commerce purchases overall, all, all, 30% of all purchases are e-commerce now, whereas before yeah. it was like 12% before COVID. I mean, what do you think is going to happen after COVID? Everyone, I, so many people, how many new behaviors and purchasing behaviors have you adopted in COVID? Like the whole thing, ordering groceries, all that, that's still, a lot of people are going to continue doing that cooking at home more people are just there. This has become a habit. It wasn't a one week thing. It wasn't like week 52, you know, where everyone's home. It's become a very serious lifestyle change for a lot of people. I think e-commerce is going to be much bigger overall. So while there is killer competitors like Frito-Lay jumping in the mix, there's a lot more people, a lot more eyes anyway. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it might happen. Uh, people might continue. Obviously, some consumer behaviors are going to stay the same, like such as buying groceries online. But then mm-hmm. what might be happening too is these sort of like outdoor activities or outdoor events are going to be like bigger. But, you know, the CPMs, CPM wise, um, I think it actually might go higher, you know, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's going to go higher again, just because now even more people are going to be advertising online. So that's where I think it's, that's where it's based mm-hmm. out of, so. Um, but all right, cool. Anyways, Eric, that was a great chat. That's all I have for today. Uh, any questions or comments, email Eric at Void Media. He is the best resource for question answering that we have. My inbox is kind of dusty lately, honestly. So send me an email. I'm kind of bored. Yeah, yeah. We have to answer some uh, reader questions that we yeah, you've been getting that we haven't uh, yeah. answered yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably for a separate podcast. I just email them back directly. But yeah. Yeah, I can... I can, you know, put their name to task publicly if you want. So, sure. Yeah, yeah, let's do a reader question uh, next episode. All right. Right. Good. Talk to you soon, Eric. All right. See you.
This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.